0: down on the south coast. I grew up there. Um, I became a Christian. I think you already know some of my story. I've, I've heard that um, you've already heard that the reason I started going to church when I was 15 is because I liked a boy. Uh, so I wasn't looking for Jesus. Um, I was just looking for a boyfriend. And I wasn't really seeking after God. But yeah, so I uh, became a Christian when I was 15. And um, to be honest, it's been pretty up and down since then. Um been, Times of backsliding, times of being really passionate about God, times of being pretty lukewarm or somewhere in the middle, um, but now I have the privilege of leading Jubilee Plus, which Roger has already mentioned, um, and also I work for my church in Hastings where I oversee social action, so we've got eight projects there that are helping to tackle poverty or injustice in one way or another. Excellent, great. As well as you work, Jubilee really Plus, you're also a published author, is that right? Yes. Could a book on the screen behind us there? Go ahead and tell us a little bit about your books? That's, that's better than when my face was on the screen behind me. Um, yeah, so um, I've had the privilege of writing these books with Martin Charlesworth, who's in Shrewsbury, in Shropshire. He was the founder of Jubilee+. Plus. And the books are really about poverty in the UK and a Christian response to poverty in the UK. So I uh, started off writing The Myth of the Undeserving Poor, which was kind of... I used to be a journalist, so it was looking at some of the media narratives around poverty and the biases in the media and thinking, actually, as Christians, do we just take what we read or what we hear um, or what we see on the tv or even what other people say to us or do we see what does the bible say and what does god have to say and so it was kind of been a progression from that into well what does it look like to have churches where people from a background of poverty which actually my own background as well um what does it look like to have churches where everyone's welcome and not just welcome but everyone can actually be real genuine family together Um, and then yeah the final one a call to act um yeah is is actually the individual application of what does it mean for us, not just as churches collectively, but also as individual Christians? How do we apply this in our own lives and live lives that are for the good of others as well as for the glory of God? Great. Rumour has it, a new book coming out very soon. I have got new a. New book it for you. Oh, look at that. Yeah, Ah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting any of this, by the way. So um, it's... Um, uh, yeah, no, no, it's great. Yeah, so next month, Invisible Divides. So invisible, you can't see the word invisible. It is on the book cover, but they've made it like, um, so it reflects, which means on every electronic image, you actually can't see the word. So it's a bit of a flaw in the design there. But yeah, this one I've written with a guy called Paul Brown, who's a pastor in London. And it's really about... Um, what it's like when you are from a working class background and you become a Christian in a church that has a majority of middle class people and just some of the culture clash uh, which I'll be talking about a little bit this morning in the second session yeah the culture clash and and how just some of the obstacles some of the things that might divide us which actually if we just understood them a little bit better actually we could overcome really easily and um, yeah do church family I think more effectively together. That's how in April, is that right? April the 21st, yeah. Okay, okay, finally (laughs) last question, (laughs) is your first visit to Teesside, is that right? No. Oh. Ah, yeah, no. I've been to, I think I've been to Jubilee Church Teesside before, in 98 or 99. Um, I think I was visiting friends up here. Um, Was that, Jeremy Simpkins would have been leading the church, yeah. And. may have been. Uh, no, definitely. Uh, I actually came to a wedding, um, I, it was somewhere up here, sorry, I'm a typical Southerner. In, um, sorry, I apologise. But I came to a wedding of some people in your church, so I visited the church, but then I also, because so I've been twice, so I came for a wedding in the area too, and at that wedding I walked in and Jeremy Simpkins said to me, what are you doing here? Uh, for those of you who know Jeremy, he's originally from Hastings, so um, I was bridesmaid at his sister's wedding. Uh, many years ago, and then suddenly popped up here. So I have been here before. Brilliant. Well, I was going to ask you your favourite thing about Teesside, and since you have been an expert in the area, what do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? What I really love about it is how easy it is to understand how all the different areas come together. Like that's not difficult in any way for for uh, someone who's visiting. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much, do the first session. Great. Thank you. <laughs> um. Raj stole my thunder a little bit, um, but if you've got a Bible or a device with a Bible, uh, we're going to look at Isaiah 58 in this first session this morning. Um, I really, yeah, just want to, I know for any of us, uh, and I assume it's probably most of us who have been involved in um, just supporting other people during the last couple of years in particular, there are many ways in which it's just been quite hard and quite tiring. And quite wearying, and you might be here, and you might be thinking, "Oh, I'm full of the um, joy of the Lord and the joy of almost spring and all the rest of it." But I think for a lot of us, just the pandemic has been wearying, and it's left us tired. And it's not that we don't want to keep on doing what we're doing; it's just that the energy is flagging. I think we're, there's probably for many of us different sadnesses during the course of the pandemic. I mean, that might be personal loss, um, whether that's loss of loved ones or loss of work. Or loss of time with people. I mean, I think that's something that's affected all of us, isn't it? We haven't been able to spend as much time with the people that we love. Um, I think I found it hard, particularly, I think, in the first lockdown. Um, I live on my own. And most of the people I was speaking to through Zoom and, you know, thank, thank God for the wonders of modern technology that he's provided so we could keep connected during this time. But, you know, as, as someone who lives in a flat, I was having all these conversations where people would say to me, um, oh, are you enjoying time in the garden? And I was like, I haven't got a garden. And that sounds lovely, because it was beautiful weather, that first lockdown, wasn't it? The weather was... At least we, at least we had that. But, yeah, I, I wasn't in the garden. And actually, um, in Hastings, our food bank became so busy, I think we didn't really know what would hit us. And so the food bank's one of the eight projects that I'm involved in in Hastings. But particularly that others had to close... So there was that sadness of projects where actually... So one of our projects is supporting survivors of modern slavery and human trafficking, and we just weren't able to go and see the women that we're supporting. And so, of course, that brings with it the worry, the anxiety. They're trying to check in with them by phone, but they don't answer the phone. Then you wonder, well, are they okay? But you can't actually do anything to find out about it. So for some of the project leaders in Hastings and some of our projects, it was really hard in that sense because you suddenly couldn't help these people that you're really really worried about and that you know are incredibly vulnerable the the food bank was a different story entirely our food bank has been busy so Hastings is a deprived area so when you think of the southeast you might think of the nice leafy green suburbs and a lot of wealth and certainly I know that's how it's presented on the news a lot of the time as being very nice and wealthy Hastings is not like that Hastings is surrounded by that And then we've got the sea on the other side of us. So basically, we're on the beach, which is quite nice. But we're surrounded by these lovely areas. And then Hastings is like a pocket of deprivation, which is actually an embarrassment to many of the surrounding areas. The Daily Mail once called Hastings hell on sea, um, which will give you a bit of a flavour of it. I don't think it's hell on sea, by the way. I quite like it. I'd, I'd encourage you to come and visit. I think it's lovely, especially when the sun is shining. But... It's it's got a reputation, and it's got that reputation because we score really highly on all the things you don't want to score highly on. Um, Our levels of addiction, our levels of um, death from substance abuse, our levels of death from poorly heated homes, our um, levels of um, human trafficking, and some of those things that you think, does that really happen in our communities? There's a whole load of factors. Our educational attainment is low. All these issues. So in fact, Hastings is a typical coastal town in that sense, but it also has a lot more in common with a lot of areas in the north than it does with most of our surrounding areas in the south. But so our food bank's been busy anyway, because there's a lot of poverty around us. There's a lot of deprivation. So our food bank's been a busy one. Um, And then Universal Credit came in. So Universal Credit came to us um, in December 2016 and suddenly our food bank numbers shot through the roof because people just couldn't cope with at the time it was a six week wait it's five weeks now and people just couldn't cope with the weight they just and we would see people who would come to us four weeks into that weight and say I really didn't want to come I tried to get through this period of time and I've not eaten now for four days and so I've come because I felt I had no choice And one of the reasons Martin and I wrote the book The Myth of the Undeserving Poor is because those aren't the stories we hear a lot of from politicians, from the media. I feel like as a former journalist, I can kind of say that to a certain extent because we, we don't report fairly and evenly. Some newspapers report one side of the story, some newspapers report the other. Hardly any have a really balanced approach, which means whichever you read, if you read one, you're likely to drift subtly into that way of thinking and I think we might think, well, we won't because we're Christians. But actually, we know that what we meditate on forms what we believe. That's why we meditate on the Bible. It's why we say, actually, you know, take your, well, the Bible says, take your thoughts captive. And we say the way to do that is you, you learn scripture, you memorize scripture, you meditate on scripture. But reading the Bible is so important. It's because what we read goes in and it starts to go deep into our hearts. And it's actually just the same with whatever we read in newspapers or online or in any other way. It, it, it's like a drip feed. And so if we read only one side of the story constantly, then the narrative we believe is eventually going to become that side of the story. So our food bank um, got really, really busy and we were meeting all these people who were just finding life incredibly difficult. But the reason I'm saying that about the food bank is the context of that. Then the pandemic hits So we've already had massive increases in food bank use before the pandemic comes. And I know some of you and the things you run and you're involved in, you'll have seen similar things where suddenly the levels of busyness and then the complexities of trying to run a service when you can't get within two metres of another human being. It's just it it was it was crazy. We started spending five thousand pounds a week. My church started spending five thousand pounds a week on food just to keep up with the demand. And that was with donations pouring in of money as well. So I know that some of you will, will have experienced that in projects, charities that you're involved in. Either they're having to close things and worrying about people or suddenly being rushed off your feet and busy. And I think both are wearying in different ways. I think the, the levels of anxiety we carry for other people Worrying. I mean, this has been true, I think, for churches as well as for social action charities and projects. You're, you're worried about the people around you. You're worried about the people in your small group or, or in your church as a whole. And, and I, I don't know, maybe for you guys it might have been different, but for me, I found it tiring. Just I've just noticed I'm, I'm more tired than I think I've ever felt in my life. And I don't just think that's because I'm getting a bit older. <laughs> I think it's the pandemic. I think it's been the, the constant uncertainty not just for other people, but also in your own life, the constant not knowing what's going to happen next. Are we going to be allowed to see each other? Is it temporary? Is it permanent? Are we, you know, and we've seen so much change, haven't we, with rules changing and then coming back. And, and even now, it feels a bit like everything's starting to get back to normal. But I don't know about you, I'm living with this sense still of, can I trust it? Is it going to last? Uh, what do we need to be putting in place now for the needs that are about to come upon us as well so even if we're out of the um the worst of the health effects of the pandemic we are not out of the worst of the economic impact of the pandemic and obviously it's not just about the pandemic there are other factors too what's going on with russia and the ukraine um the impact of brexit whether you're for it or against it that there's there's impact from it in terms of jobs and food and things like that. The cost of living rises. The energy bill, I I don't know about you, but for me, my energy bill has already doubled. And I've just received an email in the last couple of weeks telling me it's going to go up by another £30 a month um, from April. And I'm thinking, that means it's going to be... I can't do that math, so I was going to try, but I can't. But it's, it's, it's doubled already. And I think, for me, that's all right, because I'm thinking, well, actually, I can cut back on this and I, I, I've got things like, I don't even know why I've got them, like insurance on my washing machine in case it goes wrong, and I think like that was a phone call, and it sounded like a good idea, so I thought I'd have it. It's, obviously, it is a good idea if it breaks down, but it's also a thing that I can live without, so I'm thinking, right, well, I'll cut that, and actually, you know, um, going out for dinner with a friend or whatever, that's something that I can cut. There are things that I can cut that mean I'm going to be all right with my energy bills, but... Any of us who are working with people facing poverty will know for the majority of people who are already struggling, there aren't things they can just cut. Saying, well, you know, you need to find an extra 10 quid a month actually is hard enough, let alone saying you need to find an extra 30 or 40 or 50. So I think part of the weariness I'm feeling is not just to do with the last two years, it's, it's to do with the expectation of the future as well, it's to do with what is coming, and so this might all sound very bleak, so don't worry, I'm getting to some hope. <laughs> hopefully, um, that's why we're going to read something from the Bible. So let's read from Isaiah 58, um, verse 6 onwards. So um, I'm reading from the ESV, but I'm sure it'll be fairly similar in whatever you're reading it in if it's not that. So, verse 6. Is this not the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? I just want to pause there and say the word oppressed can be translated bruised, and I think there are a lot of people who we might not define them as kind of oppressed in that kind of classical sense of the word, but the word there can mean bruised, and I think we all know a lot of people who are incredibly bruised maybe that's us maybe that's us too but so think not just about oppression but about just people who are hurting and broken at the moment is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily your righteousness shall go before you the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speak in wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually. And satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I love this passage of scripture because... I think so often um, when we talk about this passage, we talk about the things we have to do, but it's so rich with the promises of God for us when we do them. And so for any of us who have, I know because I know I've met some of you, that there are people in this room who have poured yourself out, as it says in one of those verses. And these promises come on the back of that. And I don't pretend to necessarily understand it all because I know that we are saved by grace And not by works. But actually, the Bible's pretty clear, and not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well, that there are promises attached when we do the things that are on God's heart for us to do. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. So, even from the mouth of Jesus himself, we have these promises that actually, when we are merciful, when we pour ourselves out, when we look to alleviate hunger, people who haven't got clothes, people who haven't got shelter, when we look to even bind up the brokenhearted and set people free, whether that's free from addiction or whether it's free from um, human trafficking and modern slavery, you know, it's not, this passage doesn't say, um, pour yourself out on behalf of the hungry who are hungry because um, circumstances conspired against them so it's not their fault. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, set people free only if they didn't get themselves into the situation that they're in. It doesn't say that. God's heart is for people who are bruised and oppressed and broken and hungry. His heart is for them. I mean, it's through the whole of the Bible. I probably could have spoken from any section of the Bible today to illustrate this point, but I've gone here because I wanted to focus on some of the promises of God to us, to those of us who may be feeling like the pandemic's taken its toll in one way or another on us and on people we love. And actually, I felt that what God might want to say before we even get into some of the promises it's actually just a well done just well done if you've been pouring yourself out whether you've been able to do that physically by packing food parcels or you know get being physically present with people and helping them or whether you've been pouring yourself out in your prayer life because you couldn't get to the people who are on your heart and on your mind and who you're concerned about Either way, if you've been pouring yourself out, I just felt God wants to say, well done. Well done. And for us to hear it. Because it, I can, you know, obviously, because I've got a mic, the tendency is to keep talking. <laughs> but actually, I think God wants us to hear, well done. Well done. Because this is his work. This is his work. I had the privilege yesterday of visiting um, Open Door and Hope Foundation. And just sitting there and listening to people who are pouring themselves out. And I'm thinking, this, this is the work of God. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. It, it is it, everything that is on his heart and has always been on his heart through the whole of human history, ever since poverty came into the world, through sin, through the fall. It wasn't supposed to be here. We're not supposed to live in a world that has poverty, that has injustice, that has people who are hungry. It was never part of God's original design. And so the heart of God is that as the kingdom of God comes, as the kingdom of God is rolled out in our communities, we get to be those who bring mercy, who bring hope, who bring compassion, who bring the practical support of food and clothing and shelter and and skills, giving people skills that they need, helping people to not only get back on their feet, but to stay on their feet. One of the things I really believe um, in my role at Jubilee Plus, the charity that Raj mentioned that I work for, is that what we're going to see in this coming season is a lot more of equipping other people to stay out of poverty and and equipping them so that they can lead others out of poverty too. I think it's going to be a new season. I think for a season, many of us have done crisis support, and we have helped people out of poverty as well. But I think God is going to breathe on what we're doing and we're going to see so much more of that, so much more of people actually not only being lifted out of poverty, but being so empowered by what God does in their lives, by the contribution we're able to make to their lives, that they're not constantly fearing falling back in to the same things, but they're able to stay out of it but also to draw others out too. I believe that's the promise of a few chapters on from this in Isaiah 61. Again, it's funny. Some, I don't know, maybe you don't do this, but I tend to know some verses really well. And then sometimes when I read them, I'm like, oh, there's great stuff before and after it too. It's just, I've kind of got my fridge magnet verse and then for, not, not noticed that after it is actually just equally precious gold. Funnily enough, seeing as all scripture is God-breathed. But... In Isaiah 61, you know, I, I'm well versed in the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor, that part of it. But it goes on to say that they shall become oaks of righteousness for the display of his splendor or in some translations for his glory. It says they shall become rebuilders, <coughs> renewers and restorers. And actually, I know from those of you that I've met that that is absolutely your heart, that that's absolutely you're like, yes, come on, Lord, let's see it. I just feel like this is the big well done of God that in the next season he's going to answer the cries of some of our hearts to see people lifted completely out of their situations. To be honest, that's my story. You know, I got saved out of relative poverty. Some of you have heard bits of this. I apologize for that if I've seen you in the last couple of days and you've already heard it. But, um, you know, when I was a kid, we lived on the 16th floor. Um, of a block of council flats with no central heating and one phone for the whole block of flats so you used to have to go all the way down to the ground floor and then queue up for the pay phone um, I had free school meals um, I think my life was nowhere near as hard as many people's lives but it also wasn't as easy as some people's lives and so growing up like that to be honest I didn't even particularly realize it until I became a Christian and when I became a Christian at 15, I suddenly noticed all these people who had lives that looked very different to mine, whose life experience seemed very different to mine. And I'm going to focus a bit more on that in the next session. But for me, when I look at what God has done in my life, he's lifted me out of poverty. So obviously he saved me and took me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of the sun that he loves. I, you know, Obviously that, first and foremost, is what's important. But actually he didn't leave me in my economic poverty he didn't leave me in my um, aspirational poverty where I thought my life had to end up a certain way and I couldn't see any other options for me he didn't leave me in relational poverty all of those types of poverty he redeemed when he redeemed me and actually not just me so I have a brother and sister and they're not Christians but they have been completely lifted out of poverty too and that is the common grace of God. Actually, he, he doesn't just only want to do it to those who are saved. Poverty is wrong. Injustice is wrong. So God wants to deal with it. He obviously wants to save people too, but he wants to deal with people's needs. He wants to deal with that hardship. So for me, he, he not only got me out of poverty, but my brother and sister live in the good of what God has done in my life. they, Even though they don't acknowledge it and they wouldn't know it, they wouldn't recognise it, they are benefiting from the grace of God to me when he saved me. And it's been utterly transformative, actually, for my... Um, I was going to say my whole family, but by that I really mean my mum and some other members of my kind of slightly wider family as well. And I love that God does that. He doesn't, he's not stingy with his mercy. He's not tight with it. It's not just, right, here's your bit and it's in this real tight boundary and don't let any of it spill over. Obviously, he's the complete opposite to that. You know, we know that, isn't it? It's everything overflows. And so it splashes out on those around me, what he's done in my life. And then when I was a kid, I wanted to write Mills and Boone novels. I don't know if any of you heard of them, like trashy romance novels. Apologies if any of you love them. Um, but I, I don't know why I wanted... I, I can't remember why I wanted to, but I wanted to enough that I wrote to Mills and Boone when I was 11 and asked them, how can I become an author? for Mills and Boone. And they wrote back to me, and they sent me this um, booklet which tells you exactly how to write a Mills and Boone novel. So the man has to be older than the woman, the man has to be wealthier than the woman. I mean, there's a lot we could say about this, but, you know, um, (laughs) they they have to not get on, then get on, and look like it might work out, then fall out, and then eventually get together. I mean, it's so prescriptive. The point about Mills and Boone is that when I was writing The Myth of the Undeserving Poor, I was walking um, in some woods near where I live, just praying and saying to God, like, would he inspire me? Would he speak to me? Would he give me words for the bits that I was struggling with in particular? And I'd, just, I'd forgotten this Mills and Boone thing. And I just felt God would say to me, do you remember when you wanted to write Mills and Boone novels? And I was like, oh yeah, that's funny. And then I felt him say, aren't my plans for you better than your plans for yourself? So God took me out of relative poverty, let it influence others around me so they're not in poverty either. But then he raises me up so I get to write about poverty. And even things like I get to stand here and like what a privilege that God would take someone like me out of my setting, out of my background and and do way more with my life than I ever could have imagined or dreamt of. But that's exactly what God loves to do to take someone. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor, to the broken to so many things I would identify with and resonate with, to make them an oak of righteousness for the display of his splendour. That is his heart, to have trophies of grace who not only are out of the poverty they were once in, but to actually be able to lift others out of it too, and, and affect other people so that they might also lift others out of poverty. It's I, I think what God does with us is astonishing. I think it's utterly astonishing. In my own life, I've I've been in overwhelming debt. Again, sorry, I know some of you have heard this um, yesterday, but I, I was in overwhelming debt. So I became a Christian at fifteen, but I backslid. I was a bit all over the place in my first few years, partly because of my background, and you know, it's all a bit chaotic. Um, I was a bit chaotic, and. Um, I then got into overwhelming debt and was advised by a solicitor in the church to declare myself bankrupt because he couldn't see any way that I could get out of it. But in the last couple of years before the pandemic, I ran the budgeting course in my church. And again, it's just that's what God does. He takes something that was a weak area for you, something that you might have even felt frustrated with yourself about or, or beating yourself up about. And God says, no, I'm going to take that very thing. And I'm going to use it for the good of others. I'm going to turn it around for the good of others. If, if I went um, back to some of my friends when I was in my early 20s and said to them, hey, I run a budgeting course in my church, they would be like, how's that happened? But, you know. But it's what God absolutely loves to do. So I believe that the well done of God actually is a prophetic thing as well as for right now. It's a prophetic statement from God to tell us that actually have hope for what is coming Because actually there's much more that he is going to do in this next season. I really believe that. I believe that actually even as the cost of living um, gets higher, even as our energy bills and petrol and food costs and all of that go up, and as wages don't keep up with that, and as benefits don't keep up with that, I believe that God is going to um, do something in the church or among Christians, among Christian charities, where we are going to see more and more people coming to us in need, which might feel like that's going to overwhelm us, but I believe God is going to do a new thing in the middle of it where people will be raised up and lifted up and we will be astonished more and more. Now, any of us who've been involved in it for any time, we've got those stories that we love to go to, those stories of what God has done that that has just been amazing and astonishing. But I think many of us feel like they're too few and far between. And so I really believe that what God is going to do as part of this well done for, in some cases, decades of service is actually going to be that you're going to see the desires of your heart in terms of what God is going to do in other people's lives. Coming to the promises in this passage, there's so much in here that I personally have been grabbing hold of and trying to lay hold of in the last year in particular, to be honest. These promises, which, which are astonishing, they're so rich in this passage. I'm sorry, I closed it and now I'm going to open it again and hope that it appears, it doesn't do what yours did and disappears. Uh, it's there, but it's gone weird so starting off with then shall your light break forth like the dawn I believe that's a promise that actually more and more people are going to see the light of what we've been doing in investing ourselves, pouring ourselves out on behalf of others that more and more people are going to see that light. It is going to be like a breaking forth of the dawn. Um, we were talking yesterday morning, a few of us, about the fact that some things feel like they're getting darker for Christians in our nation. What, what we're allowed to believe, what we're allowed to think, what we're allowed to say is becoming constrained, not just for Christians, actually, but, but for everyone. And as that happens, there can be fear among Christians of, well, are we going to... Um, What's, is it going to be okay for us? What's it going to look like for us? Is, is the law, I guess, going to um, restrict what we can do more and more and more? And that might happen. That might be true. But there's a promise of God that when we pour ourselves out on behalf of the hungry, that actually our light will break forth like the dawn. And I think we've seen some of that during the pandemic. I know that for me, some of the organisations in my community that didn't want to work with churches um, before the pandemic are now incredibly grateful for the fact that we're there. So I don't think before the pandemic I would have had the opportunity to chair the Hastings Emergency Food Response Group because I think they would have thought, no, a a statutory agency needs to do that or it definitely needs to not be a church in that role, chairing the response for the whole town of how we're going to deal with emergency food needs. But actually they're like, oh, you guys are doing this work, so can you do it? Can you chair it? So it's opportunities like that where actually people may be um, nervous of us. They may worry that we're just trying to convert everyone. They may worry about um, some of the opinions we hold or different things. They may worry about that. But actually, what people can't argue with is the impact that we're having on the most vulnerable and the poorest in our communities. And we're not doing it so that they look at it and go... That's helpful. That's great. We're not doing it for that reason. We're doing it because we believe God cares about poverty and injustice. But actually part of the promise is that when we do it, our light will break forth like the dawn. So even if things get more difficult in some ways for Christians, actually it's in this very area that I think our communities are going to be increasingly glad that we exist, glad that we're still there, glad that we haven't shut our doors, glad that um, Christianity hasn't died out as has obviously been predicted by some. Our light will break forth. People will see it. But then it says as well, your healing will come. Actually, it says your healing shall spring up speedily. Now, again, I don't pretend to understand all this because we know that not everyone gets healed. We know that God can heal and he does heal, but not everyone gets healed. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray this for myself and the people around me who I know are giving themselves to those in poverty because it says it in the Bible. So I'm going to say to God, your word says, in Isaiah 58, it promises this God. So if I'm sick, whether that's physically or mental health wise, I'm going to go, God, your word promises that when I do this, my healing will appear. And obviously, God isn't like a vending machine. It's not like we put in, um, you know, some serving those who are in poverty or facing injustice and outcomes, like a, a list of things that we've ordered from God. It's not like that. He knows best. The Bible says he knows how frame. He knows how we're made. He knows what's best for us. And he works all things together for our good. So it's not like we can come before God and, and demand. Well, But what we can do is come and lay hold of the promises of God. And so that's what I'm doing. I've got friends of mine who I know pour themselves out. And, so, and I know they're sick. Or I know that they're battling um, with just kind of um, heartbreak after heartbreak in their life. You know, I've got one friend who lost both parents um, due to COVID. And that's someone who has been um, giving herself, pouring her heart out, helping people to gain confidence to get back into employment. And actually, so for her, I'm like, God, your word says her healing will spring up speedily. So I don't know exactly what that means for her, but I'm going to pray, God, will you heal her heart? Will you heal her grief? Will you heal her mourning? Because your word says it and because she's doing what your word says. It also says that the glory of the Lord shall be your, your rear guard. I love that. So, one of the things I've been praying from this passage is, God, protect me. God, protect me. And I know that, you know, bad things happen to good people. That's in the Bible. I mean, that's, you know, what happened to Jesus, obviously, is the ultimate example of that. But actually, there's a promise here that the glory of the Lord will be my rear guard. So, I'm going to pray, God, will you protect me? Will you protect those who are pouring themselves out? He says that um, God will hear our pleas. You shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. So coming before God and saying, God, this thing that I've been crying out to you for, this person I've been crying out to you for, for salvation or for healing or for breakthrough in finances or whatever it might be, God, your word says, that when I do these things, you hear my cry. So I'm going to cry out, I'm going to seek you and I'm going to trust you, that you're listening, that you're going to answer me. It says, your gloom shall appear like the noonday. I think for this one, this is one that for me personally, I've really, I've, I've both wrestled with and grabbed hold of. Um, I have suffered for years with depression on and off and I'm grateful that it's on and off. But actually, when God says here that my gloom will become like the noonday, I want to lay hold of that. I want to say to God, again, I know it's not a magic formula. I know it's not if I help people who are hungry. Like It's not like I do a shift at the food bank and then I'm never depressed again. It doesn't, It doesn't work like that. But actually, there is a promise here. And I have actually seen it to be true in my own life that when I do pour myself out on behalf of others, actually, it's often then, that, to be honest, it's, I don't even know whether I'm depressed or not because I'm too focused elsewhere to kind of notice. And, and I'm talking probably about low-level depression, and I know that wouldn't be the same for everyone, and I, d- I don't want to be in any way glib about that. But another thing I've noticed is that a lot of people who are really passionate about social action, who really care about poverty and justice issues, <laughs> do sometimes have a tendency to be more on the kind of depressive or melancholic end of the spectrum. And I've noticed that, and I wonder if it's just because of caring so deeply about what we see around us and then the needs around us feeling sometimes so overwhelming and that can be one person's needs that feel so heartbreaking so overwhelming or it can be that we just see so many people we think how on earth can we help them all what can we do we're doing we've run full pelt for 10 years 20 years maybe even just full pelt for the last two years or so can we do any more and so i think i've just observed that and obviously it's not true it's a generalisation. it's not true of everyone but i have noticed that people who um, are really really passionate about this and also there's that that element of where I think some of the depression or the melancholy comes from not everyone else caring about it some of those horrible conversations you have and to be honest I've had them in a lot of churches Um, sometimes when I go and speak in churches on a Sunday and I'm speaking to people some of whom are really passionate about this and some of whom don't care about it at all often we'll have conversations afterwards where someone will come up and say I think you've made too much of it I think it's not as big a deal I think it's for some Christians and not for others and there's that sense in which my heart just sinks in those moments and there's that when you have conversation like that time and time again and I know some of you would have had conversations where you've been trying to persuade other people this is on the heart of God and they just don't get it and it can lead to just this 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 depression and I'm not using that word lightly I mean a real depression of like but but God this is hard to carry and it's harder to carry because more people aren't carrying it with me and so for me for a number of reasons in a number of ways laying hold of this claim God your word says that when I do these things my gloom will be like the noonday God what does it what does it mean I want to press into you whether I'm in the darkest valley season right now or whether I'm in a great season and I'm having kind of respite from my gloom. Actually, either way, I want to lay hold of this and say, God, I trust you that you're going to make my gloom like the noonday. And like I said, I, I went through a really difficult period of time last year. Actually, for the last five months of last year, I cried almost every day. I was in a pretty dark place and I was clinging on to God and I was clinging on to passages like this. And I was, I was desperately holding on to God saying, God, I've got to hold on to your promises because I haven't got anything else to hold on to. I know some of you would have known times like that where literally there is no other hope. If Jesus isn't your hope, then, then you've got nothing. And I was, I was clinging on to God. And what I noticed is some of the things that lifted me through that five-month period was when I started to pray for people who I know have harder lives than I've got right now. So I started to really, so I'd spent some of that time really praying about my own situation. And I don't think that's wrong, but I'd noticed that I could barely pray about anything else. I'd noticed that it was the kind of preoccupation of my prayer life, my thought life. And I just felt God say, pray for this person. And one particular person came to mind. And I started trying to pray for her with the same energy that I'd been praying for myself. And I didn't manage it a lot of the time, but I thought, I'll try. And then I felt God give me kind of some ways in which I could reach out and make a difference to that person. And then another person came to mind. And then another person came to mind. And then another person came to mind. And I, I don't know, I, I stopped counting, but it's probably now, there are probably about a dozen people who I know are going through really, really difficult situations. And I want to, and I have been committing myself to pray for them, but also to doing what I can to help in their situations. And like I say, it's not, it's not a magic potion. It's not like, well, no, I started doing that and then I stopped feeling miserable. No, but I have found that there is somehow this correlation in the spiritual, in the things of God, where actually it does make a difference. And it might not be that everything's now wonderful and I'm full of joy every single moment of every single day. But there is something that I think God's done in my spirit where it has alleviated some of my own pain. It has lifted some of my own heaviness. Off me. So again, it's just, it's just an example of what's here. And then God will guide you continually. Again, we just get to come and say, God, as those who may be weary, your word says you'll guide us continually. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times during the pandemic, I've thought, I don't know what to do right now. I don't know what, what the best thing to do is. I don't know, you know, when I'm, I'm being asked by the leaders of my church, what are you going to do about the fact we're spending 5,000 pounds a week on food? Because we haven't got money to do that. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, fundraise and pray and, you know, I'm the other way around. But, you know, I'm being asked to make decisions. In fact, even in my new role, leading Jubilee Plus, I've only been leading Jubilee Plus um, since April last year. And the number of times I've said to God, I don't know what to do. I, I, like, I, I totally, I'm out of my depth. I do, no, do not know what to do. I never imagined I'd be leading a national charity. And obviously, from my background, that was never on the cards. So I, how do I know what to do? But it says God will guide you continually. So I'm going to go, God, you said it, so I'm going to do it. It says that he will satisfy us. And actually, satisfy your desire in scorched places, I think... Our nation feels like a scorched place. I mean, probably that's true everywhere around the world and in some places like Ukraine, more so, much, much more so than here right now. But again, the promise of God, if you feel like you're in a scorched place, is that he will satisfy us. It says um, as well about, you shall be like a watered garden. He'll make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. It's just a promise of God for us. And I've found, um, I think particularly I would say in the last two or three months or so, just as I've been laying hold of this, I've felt more that, more like actually God, I'm feeling now that I'm just, I'm experiencing more of your presence, more of your Holy Spirit, more of your, just knowing your delight in me, knowing your pleasure in me as I'm doing these things. Feeling like actually I feel, I don't feel as dry as I felt. I feel like I'm well watered. And those waters are going to be things that actually, they're not going to go um, in a month or two months. Actually, the promise is the well-watered gardens. God's been doing things in me and in all of us, I'm sure, in this season that are actually, we know they're going to last. We know it's been like building solid foundations, solid uh, building blocks in. And this promise here that these waters will not fail. And then just finally, before we maybe pray, um, it talks about you'll be rebuilt and you'll be a rebuilder. And I just think that, again, coming before God and saying, God, the promise is here. Not just that I get rebuilt, but also I get to be a rebuilder. And I know many of you are already people who are rebuilders. But again, like I say, I just believe that God is going to do more in this next season. That we are going to see more of the desires of our hearts when it comes to the people we've been supporting who've been trapped in poverty, trapped in injustice, who've been vulnerable or marginalised in any way. I believe that God is going to do more, but there's going to be this dual thing of where he rebuilds us and we rebuild others at the same time. So I'd love to pray for us. I don't know if you could maybe come back up if that's all right, if you don't mind. Um, I think, to be honest, I, I, I don't know, it's kind of weird, isn't it? At this point, you can say something like... Um, you know, if, if anything I've said kind of connects with you in any way, I mean, I've said a lot. I, I think there's a lot that God wants to do now, just of blessing us. So, to be honest, even if nothing I've said has connected with you, if you want to meet with God, then why don't you stand? Because <laughs> you know. So if if you think, do you know what? God, I just I want to lay hold of these promises. I want to hear your well done in a in a new way. I want to just know that you. I, know, I want to know your pleasure, but I also want to believe that you are going to do new things in a new season, whether that's in your own life or in the lives of the people that you are supporting or both. I wonder if you might do whatever you feel comfortable to do, whether that's raise your hands, put your hand on your heart, just whatever your way of receiving from God. If, you, if you've got a posture that helps you to do that, why don't you do it? Father, we thank you so much that you are merciful and compassionate and gracious Thank you for your heart for us, that you have saved us and brought us into a spacious place because you delight in us, as it says in the Psalms. Thank you that you've, you've delighted in us and you do delight in us. Thank you that you, you love to save and transform. You love to make us more like your beautiful son. Thank you, Father. And God, I just want to pray for all of us really here that we would would know you're well done that we would be able to hear it that it would be louder than our own voices our own internal dialogue sometimes that it would be louder than the voices of others that actually we would hear your voice as the voice that gets to tell us who we are and whose we are Father, I pray for us to have ears that can hear your well done. I thank you for those that I've had the privilege to meet in the last couple of days who I know have poured themselves out, but I thank you also for those in the room who I don't know who have poured themselves out for others. And God, I pray for this new season of these promises to become more and more evident in their lives and in the lives of those they serve. God, we do want to lay hold of your promises. We, your word says it, so help us believe it. Mm, that's right. Your word says it, God, so we say, help us. Where we, some of these we might believe easily, some of them we might struggle with more, but God, we, we, we trust you, we love you. <coughs> so would you come and work in our hearts now, God? Would you come and revive the weary? Would you come and make the weary like a well-watered garden? whose waters never fail? Would you come and strengthen the bones of those who who feel like they're just maybe physically tired from it all, God? Father, would you come and lift gloom and make it like the noonday sun? Would you come and satisfy us in your presence, God? Would you protect? Would you guide? We're so grateful for your promises, God. We're so grateful that You've given us your word to to cling on to. And so I pray, would you come now by your Holy Spirit and do what you want to do in each of us. We're open to you. Our hearts are open. Amen.